Hello, everyone. Apologies, but I know we're a few minutes late. I know we had some interest in the chat as well about when we started. It wasn't it wasn't intended, but um, no, really pleased to be here today for another um, Trend Detection Live. Um, again, focusing on the truth about predictive maintenance. And I know we're going to focus a lot on the sales process of predictive maintenance and where vendors and where um, customers uh, fit into that process and, and what needs to happen, really. So um, I'll first of all let my colleague Nat introduce himself again, because I know we'll have a few new people hopefully on the call as well who might not um, be aware of who he is. So Nat, if you want to go ahead. Yeah, hi. Be great. Can you hear me? Yes. Good. Yes, Apologies, everybody. The lateness was entirely down to me. Um, salespeople... Good at studying technology, not necessarily that great at using it, and I couldn't get into the online system, so I'm on my mobile phone. Nice to meet you all. Um, I am um, head of sales in the UK. I look after global accounts, and I always do a disclaimer in these conversations. Um, why should I, a salesperson, be speaking about the truth about predictive maintenance? Um, and the answer I always give is that salespeople, I'm all, we're talking specifically about sales today, were involved right from the very beginning, right from sitting with Niall in marketing and planning how we're going to go after the market, how we're going to lead generate, get some knowledge out there and start getting some leads right through to year three, four, five, when we're scaling with a client. So we probably have a privileged position of being the only people in the business who are um, with an organization from first touch point um, right to the inevitable, wherever we go with them. Um, so we have some good insights. So Hello. Nice to hear you all. I'm actually going to be daring and now click on my computer to see if it can appear on there too. Yeah. And, and while Nat's doing that, we'll just do a couple of quick, uh, for any newcomers, so we do have a chat function, which I know a couple of you are already using. Good evening, Lauren. For your, <laughs> thanks for your message. Um, so if you've got any questions at any point, we'll just drop them in as and, as and when we won't do a Q&A at the end or anything like that. We want to keep the conversation sort of flowing. So by all means, add your questions and I'll put them to Nat as soon as possible. Um, and besides that, I think. What did I say? There he is. Am I trying to edit this button? There we go. There we are. Sales guy, eating technology. Exactly. Perfect. Perfectly timed. So. Yeah, so like I said, today we're starting, we're actually talking about the sales process with predictive maintenance. So I wonder whether you could give um, the audience a bit of an overview, Nat, of that sales process, how it works. Maybe there's maybe a more generic process versus a Sensei and how Sensei sort of differs. That might be a yeah, good, good sure. starting point. I mean, I don't, we never know who the audience are on these things, um, current or in the future. So maybe there's value in talking specifically of, you know, about the a sales process and what it involves. And it's unusual to lift the lid as an organization who sell and discuss um, the sales process. Um, but actually, the, there's a lot of complexity to what we do, which means that we don't have quick turnaround, sort of um, spin selling type approach. We have to be completely transparent and it has to be a collaboration between us and the, the organization we sell to. So actually, lifting the lid will only reveal the things that anybody who's engaged with us will know about anyway. There's a sort of responsibility that we have to making sure that, that things are understood. So to answer your question, um, if you look at the life cycle of a, uh, a sales cycle of some complexity, it'll start with speaking to you now, speaking to marketing. Um, we're privileged in this organization that we have a good, strong relationship between sales and marketing. Um, most companies don't as well. Sometimes they can see themselves as different, different disciplines, but we know what we're 
a solution like predictive maintenance, you really have to get together with sales and marketing, trying to understand where it fits in the market, who are the people who are going to want to use it, consume it, who are going to get benefit from it, and then answer the question, how do we find them? Where do they go? Where do they hang out? What things do they read? Where are we likely? What, what kind of search terms do they use to, to find a predictive maintenance solution? And they're not easy, easy questions to answer. Um, there's an art to it. Um, so that's the first phase. The second is engaging the market. Um, this again sits really with Noel's department. So that's with events, um, webinars, this kind of session, for example, podcasts, any method of, of appearing in places where people who care to hear what we have to say or beginning a journey or somewhere through a journey might want to come and, and hear what we, what we have to talk about on different topics. Um, and the reason we do that is to start to gain some understanding of the feedback from the market and to gain some understanding or to, for the market to gain an understanding of us and what we do and how they can engage with us. Um, and then the task for, for somebody like me kicks in, people who work in the sales team, which is first engagement. So that'll usually be emails or could be contact from LinkedIn, might be a telephone call, but that's really the beginning of the relationship. So that's when we start to have the chance to set out um, a process that we want to go through that will successfully help a company to understand whether or not they should be buying from us. And it's, it's tempting in sales to try and find a way of fitting your solution to everybody's needs, but it doesn't work. So an important part of um, certainly a synthesized sales process is to help ourselves to understand if a client is right or not, and to help a client to understand very early on if we're right or not. So um, a colleague of mine actually just earlier today was saying that, that he thought it'd be a good idea to include in our sales literature in those early conversations, um, not just great stories about wins we've had in the past and the accounts we're working with and the benefits they're getting and all the all the sort of features of benefits sense like, but maybe a slide or two talking about why you wouldn't want to work with us. You know? And there could be lots of reasons why you wouldn't want to work with us. And we'll, we'll come on to some of those about how we, what we do in a sales cycle that helps people to qualify um, the shape of their project. And often the answer is, don't do a project. You don't have enough need. You don't have enough time. You don't have enough budget. Some of those can be resolved, but in many cases they can't be. Um, so that first phase, we're getting to know you, we're getting to know an individual, um, will be followed usually by a wider meeting with a wider audience. And that'd be more people from our side because we'll want to bring in subject matter experts, um, pre-sales, et cetera. Um, and that'll be matched on the client side by bringing in people from the right departments. So that's, you've, you've already got your, your kind of seed of communication with someone who, someone who'll probably go on to become a sponsor. And we talked last time about the importance of having a really good, strong sponsor. Um, and, and the job, the tasks they have to take on about internal communication. So that first, that first bit of work they have to do is getting, getting the right people involved in that, that meeting. And two things happen in those early sessions. Um, they're about us asking questions to appreciate and understand as much as we can about a client's environment and their needs and their wishes and their aspirations and their, their knowledge and their lack of knowledge. Um, so we do that, that questioning process. But equally, there's an education process that we need to go through, which is about explaining um, something about predictive maintenance, something about us as a company in predictive maintenance, and then looking at the things that we've learned and talking about the benefits, et cetera, the processes, the challenges that will be found in their specific environment. So you go from these kind of light touch, finding the right people, first conversations, constantly helping them qualify us and us qualifying them, and then more meaningful meetings. 
and then you'll probably go into a phase where you'll start to more seriously think about building or helping to build a business plan. Um, and that will be based on technology um, and cost and value. So use case, technology, cost and value. Um, and that could be a very quick process because all the work might be done. There might be a very simple need, but it could be a long, complicated process. And, it, you know, we'll, we'll work with the client to make sure that we're putting in the right time and effort to achieve those things. Um, so it might be that it might be all based around building a, a value proposition, which can put together as a proposal for them internally to get sign off. There will be other considerations, other things that have to happen, other people in the business um, who need to be communicated with so they understand what the implications of a project are for them. Um, IT, for example, they won't be directly involved in the project, but it will impact them and they'll have to get involved in, in parts of it. Um, so making sure that we have the, I guess from a sales perspective, the hearts and minds of them, from a bias point of view, just making sure they're involved so that they, they are doing what needs to be done. And if there's anything that they haven't thought of, like, for example, they have a policy that you can't use cloud, then it'd be good to find out about that either mitigate it or move on. Um, so we go through this arc, and at that point, we will then, if, if it is the right thing to do, we'll proceed and we'll have a contract with the business. Um, one of the sessions, the first sessions we did was about, you know, what happens at that stage? What is the product that they, that they first consume? Um, and a large part of the sales process for me is making sure that people don't try and run a, a, a small isolated proof of concept. As we've discussed ad infinitum in previous sessions and we can probably touch on it again today because it's such an important and relevant point um so the sales cycle um if you like then we'll, we'll at that point move into a new phase because year one with a client um it, I, from my point of view from my selfish point of view it'd be quite good if you could just throw it over the wall to delivery and say nice to meet you all and i hope you have a wonderful experience using sensei but it's, um, you know, the, you, you need to continue working with the client to make sure that they are um, gathering success stories and communicating them internally well um, and working with us and understanding what's new. We were acquired by Siemens this year. That's has big impact. So making sure you're working with a, a client to impart that kind of information um, to make sure that you keep the relationship developing in the right way. And that continues to happen. We live in a fast-paced world where technological change is, is rapid. So the life cycle of a relationship will be much slower than the life cycle of IT changes and new developments. So there will always be things for us to be talking about and presenting. Um, so it's a long, complicated process. I said I was going to talk about generic and then talk about us, but it makes sense to segue them into one another. Um, but it's, it's, they're long, they're, um, they have to be opaque, they have to be open. There has to be a shared understanding of what we're trying to achieve. Um, otherwise, they can potentially be complicated. No, fantastic. And, what, and a good opening monologue, I'd like to say. I think that's a very good scene setter. I mean, what I... What it I wasn't a monologue, to... it was an answer. Sorry, Kevin. Yeah, it, exactly, exactly. No, I agree. No, what I was going to say, I think the most interesting point, one of the interesting points from that is about the collaboration, I guess, between vendor and... It's not just a case of just selling it and off, off you go. I think that's a really important thing to emphasize. Can you sort of dive into that a bit more that the collaboration aspect between vendor and customer? Yeah. So at the start of a, a, an engagement, you know, if you, if you sell an iPhone, someone that has an iPhone and the most integration they have to do into their world is turning it on and 
uploading their history from the old iPhone or whatever. But when you sell a solution like um, Sensei, the day that you, you have a contract in place is really the beginning of the next phase of a relationship. And that phase of the relationship is characterized by um, getting to know different individuals and taking through them through a journey of getting to know us and getting to know the technology and getting to use it and getting benefit from it. It's not a, you, you can't assume that day one, that will just happen. There's an implementation period um, and you have to draw on different people within each side of the, you know, our, our company and their company in order to, to go through that process properly and well. Um, and you need to get to know the, you know, the users, the people that are actually going to be consuming the product. So it's, I, I don't want to over-egg it and say it's really complicated and put people off, but the point is you need to have a process in place in order to do that well. And we have a, um, a project um, methodology, which we currently call Omniverse, which captures all of those phases and has workshops that help to deliver those phases. Um, and there's a change as you go through. So whenever I'm, whenever I'm meeting and talking to new potential clients, one of the things we do is try and debunk a little bit of the, the mystical, magical stuff around predictive maintenance and sort of say, look, yes, there's a place for um, remaining useful life and prognostics and predicting things two years out. But the vast majority of the value we'll get from a product like ours is early detection of stuff happening that you react to and affect change. Um, and in order to go through that process, you need to build a relationship with the users um, and you need to have feedback processes and you need to be capturing success because what you need to do is have people see the product, understand the outcome from it, recognize it's working, trust it. And then what happens is that in year one, we measure our success and, and our impact by looking at reduction in downtime. And we, we seek to describe the events that didn't happen because cases allow people to intervene. But that changes over time. And, and the real value of the product becomes more about um, good and proper usage of maintenance time, um, more appropriate and precise usage of people um, planned interventions preventative and again that doesn't happen on day one there's a journey you go through to get there um, in order to do that you have to manage that process and we've got lots of people in the business who are involved in delivery who are good at doing that but there is a portion of that communication and the management of that journey that comes down to the sales process <clears throat> and we're working with your originally invested sponsor slash sponsors slash champions in the business to make sure that you're keeping the project the, the project um, in front of the right people that you're communicating wins you're enabling um, decisions to be made in a good manner so it doesn't end it really in many ways starts with that engagement i hope that answered your question no it absolutely does uh, it was interesting you say it never ends because that again as particular to what uh, a predictive maintenance process because you're there right from the very beginning the first engagement through the web you know some an inquiry through the website all the way through to the delivery and then the, the, the scaling of the project so i think that that's that's really true and um, what what i wanted to look at is actually the next is about building you mentioned about building trust and, yeah. and building <clears throat> i guess building trust in the product and building you know that it can you know it can meet expectations i guess whatever those expectations are which are set out early in the project but um one thing that often comes up is proof of concepts and trials whether they're different yeah. or the same maybe you could touch on that and and what's the benefit of going sort of on a larger deployment initial deployment rather than starting off with a small subset of say assets 
Let me just get out my placard. No <laughs> to fruitful concepts. Yeah, no, we've. I make no secret of the fact that I I um, do not want to engage with clients in a sales process on a proof of concept. If you think about what a proof of concept is, it's proving a concept. Um, and the concept in this case is predictive maintenance slash sensor predictive maintenance. Um, and it doesn't need proving. It's been proven time and time again. It's been proven right now, live in lots of different situations. There's many, many thousands of machines globally that are benefiting or individuals benefiting from the fact that we are providing the service that we describe on them. Um, and there's quicker ways to, to go through a proof of concept. You can probably do it with a phone call. Um, you could seek out somebody that's already using our solution. And, with the, and the reason that, that we're reticent or, or reticent to allow, if you like, companies to do small proof of concepts is they don't learn anything at all. And in fact, it can have a very negative effect on us um, and our relationship with the business. Because if you think about um, you could probably divide this into 30 phases. But if we think about the way this works, and we've said this before, you have a technology that you're implementing. There's lots of technology in my room right now, and I need to know about what most of it is. So that phase is short-lived. We implement the technology, kind of so what? Um, there's work in a sensei through that process. That's probably worth evaluating. And then the really good stuff happens when you start to get cases and cases related to assets. Um, that's very hard to do on a small number of assets in a small period of time. But that's also not the product, right? The technology and the engagement with Sensei in the cases is not the product. The product starts when somebody who has learned to get to know us and care stands up in a, a stand-up at the beginning of a session. And amongst all the rest of the conversation about maintenance, it is raised that a case has been brought to their attention by Sensei, and they have a discussion about it and the implications of it and a work order is raised, or one of them makes a decision to go and do something, and that doing may be just going to investigate. That's where the product really begins, that, that usage of the information that we have provided. Because then what happens is they make a decision based on what they, they find. They make a decision to change out an asset, or, or they say there's no problem here, or they realize there was a beginning of some, some um, small amount of erroneous damage being done to a bearing. And it puts them in a position of strength and they can do something. And it's that doing something that is the outcome of all the work that we've done. Without that part of it, we have no product. We're like a restaurant with no doors, horrible analogy. Um, but the point is, there's no point in building this part of it if you're not doing this bit, because otherwise, what are you measuring? You're measuring someone we already know. Um, and I can say that to my blue in the face, but I know that as a seller, I have an opposing buyer and that buyer does not want to invest the time and energy of individuals or the time and energy of budget or decision-making processes until they feel confident and sure that this solution is going to bear fruit and work for them. And there's competitive um, solutions out there that take a different approach. So there should be doubt. I mean, there's people who look and sound like me who will be saying things which are counter. So it's important for us to help an organization get to a position where they can commit to onboarding a lot of assets for a long period of time and including a lot of staff. Because the breadth of assets and the breadth of time and the breadth of staff who are engaging with those things allows them not just to test this idea of testing that we work, allows them to actually benefit from the deployment. And I recognize there's a leap of faith to go through. So, you know, we're looking at ways at the moment because we're always evolving the way we work as a sales organization. 
we're currently looking at ways of um, de-risking that process by having a staged process um, and being very clear about what it is you can measure at each of those stages. So for example, if we, we look back at what we just talked about, absolutely, we understand the need for people to say, well, let's onboard a small number of things um, and we can give them a corresponding list of things that, that will allow them to verify and check. So they're very clear about what it is they can check, very clear about what it is they can't check. If you go through that process, and then have a natural point of continue or not continue, then you go to the next stage, which would be to onboard 250 assets, for example. Um, and that gives them the next level of, of learning and engaging and getting proof points. Um, so yeah, we, you know, it, it's, it's tempting to say, uh, no, we won't do it that way, but we have a responsibility to match the needs of an organization, um, to work out which, which part of reticence is, is just that and isn't helping them and which part of it is valid so that we can engineer it into a project. But the end goal will always be as many assets as possible, as many machines, as many lines, as many you know, as plants as possible, um, and as many people, because we want as many decisions and actions as possible. Yeah, and I think uh, I think that what, I'd, what I'd add to that is the step-by-step -step approach and having different goals by those different steps absolutely make, make sense. I guess, is there a temptation, especially at the beginning of a process where just getting to know each other, it's, it's about waiting for that magic moment you know, I think I've heard you mention this um, before, but it's tempting just to go, we need to see the big bang. Wow, that's the moment where it's done this amazing thing rather than maybe more consistent. Yeah. So, let's say improvements. Yeah. yeah, it's a bit like, you know, it, there is. Um, and often people will say, we just need, we just need that big failure to prove the system works. And of course, if there was a failure, what it would prove is that the system didn't work um, because nothing should fail if we're detecting it early and, and advising. Um, that is a challenge in this process is that, you know, when you're selling, you want things to be sexy and exciting, but fundamentally what we do is make things more predictable. Um, and therefore from a coffee, um, from a water cooler perspective, pretty boring, you know, no one's going to get excited if your gossip this week is that there was a case anyway, check something out. There was a small amount of degradation, you fixed it. Be much more exciting to tell the story about how you went in and it was all on fire, but you put it out. But we don't want things to be on fire. So yeah, it can be a challenge in a project when everybody's waiting for the big bang to come to prove that it works, because we haven't explained that there shouldn't be any big bangs. So what's really important for us is to find the, the, the wins. I don't say small wins, but, but find the wins and help communicate those in a way that allows people to appreciate that they were significant and of importance. Um, and to work out the corresponding, save, the corresponding savings, etc. That's year one. Year two, you can tell a much more exciting story because you can see uptime has increased. You can see efficiencies from a maintenance perspective. But those things, you can you can work with the company after a while once they've, they've sort of consolidated and compiled. But in the early days, you need to take the what are minor and boring things and turn them into something communicable and of interest. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think. Also, I just wanted to touch back on on the sales process again, part of the proof point. Um, and we, I know, I know some of our customers do this, but what how, what role does sort of reference calls and visits sort of play? Play playing again, building that trust. Yeah, I think and this technology and and any technology, there is um, a real power behind getting 
potential clients with existing clients, all sorts of interesting conversations happen that you couldn't plan. Um, there is often a require, people often ask very early on, oh, give us, we want four references and two site visits. And the answer to that is always no. Um, candidly, for a client to be given access to the existing clients, which is takes time and energy from, from our clients, it's a favor they're doing for us. Um, it requires input and they need to be at the right stage. They need to have invested a lot of energy into their research so they've got the questions to ask. Sometimes we'll actually ask them to bring something to the table as well. So maybe a, a collaboration day where it's not just about sensor technology, they might be doing best practice around maintenance. Um, so it needs to be something that is, is useful for the, for the referee, if you like. Um, there are people who are happy to take calls. We have lots of clients who are totally secretive and totally understandably don't want to talk about how they do or don't manage their maintenance. Thank you very much um, for competitive reasons as much as anything else. Um, and also, you know, big big companies that we work with will have all sorts of technology and they don't want to be a reference for all of them. So where we have the individuals and the departments and the clients who will, we have to use that in the right way. Um, and that, that they're, they're, it's a very useful way for an organization to go and get past some of that challenging, does it even work questions, you know? And because what, you know, when, I, when I joined this business, what I could see was clients who are having a fantastic time a business that was growing fast and a potential client base who couldn't necessarily tell us who was saying the same thing, even though they were doing something very different. It's incumbent upon me to find ways of communicating, and you as well, Mark, for us, marketing and sales, to find ways of communicating what we do to explain the USPs and to give people the aha that they need to realize we're the, the right organization to go with. But there is nothing as powerful as a good reference visit achieve that yeah and I, and I guess also as part of that process is uh is what you mentioned at the end are we right for you are they are they right for us etc so i guess there's some sort of qualification yeah. process which both sides sort of go through i guess yeah. in some respects yeah and it, it, i mean let's let's not spend ages going into the depth in qualification but you know traditionally as for a salesman there's qualification things like scotsman which is about size, opportunity, timescales, budget, the kind of things you might want to know about if you were selling a, um, a training course to an individual. But certainly within, within this kind of space, you want a qualification process, which is mutual. Um, and that's, you know, we're talking about the questions you ask and then the education process you go through. That's engaged, that's really designed to enable a company to work with us to understand if they are valid as a client and if we are valid as a provider. In fact, just today, I had a conversation with um, a division of an organization, and we had a very candid conversation about um, the value to them as a business. And currently, they're not at a point where engaging with this works. We need to build a bigger and wider story, and then we can address their specific use case as part of that. But if you don't go through that process, you don't know. I mean, you can have site visits that uh, can frustrate people because it transpires or worse still, a project that starts with an invested time and budget. And then a few months down the line, you find out that because I haven't done my job properly, um, they, you know, in this current format, they're not going to get value from what they're doing. So yeah, qualification is absolutely key for both sides. Yeah, and I know I know we've gone slightly over time, so thank you everyone for sort of sticking on board as we started a little bit late. But I, I wanted to touch just 
based on that point as well, obviously predictive maintenance is one part of, let's say, a wider digital transformation program. Yeah. So is it so is it uh, an approach where sometimes we have to work out where we fit on that, let's say, journey? You know, where certain other um, certain other initiatives have to either have to take place or a more priority first, and it's it's sort of working out with the customer when when's the best time to introduce predictive maintenance into the mix as well. Absolutely, yeah, and understanding short and long term. That's why that's why it's important to be able to get quickly through those phases of, of building the trust, so that they can knowingly present a business plan, but they can then go and put as part of that wider set of business plans, you know, around sustainability and energy usage, etc. Um, because you know we never we'll always be competing with with um, time and energy for other things internally. So it's very you know, qualifying and allowing people to understand the the dimensions of their potential return investments, et cetera, helps them to internally qualify the value. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So as we're, as we're sort of nearing the end, obviously, I mean, every episode, I guess we, we like to summarize, I guess, the key takeaways, but I think in the, on this occasion, it's more, I guess, that what to, what do people need to consider when looking to engage in a, let's say a, a selection process for a predictive maintenance vendor. What, I, it, you know, what it's, it's a good question. I, th I think that if I if I wasn't selling the Sensei, but someone was going to buy from Sensei and they wanted to, they asked me my advice on how to engage with Sensei. I would say ask the sales guy to explain the stuff that we've covered today, but more of it in more detail. You know, what is what is this selling and buying cycle? What does it look like? Who do I, who do I need involved? How long is it going to take? What kind of information you're going to get me to go and get, you know, work it all out or a project plan. So don't treat it like a buying process, treat it like a project. Um, because that's what a, a mature buying cycle should look like. And that doesn't just apply for predictive maintenance, that applies for anything you buy. So yeah, that would be my take home from this. Ask the sales guy what they need to help. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so Lauren's asking, is there a question allowed? I think there is definitely allowed. Um, so if you want to put, pop your question in while we've still <laughs> got got some time left, feel free, Lauren. We'll give you a minute or two um, to do that as well. Um, so, but while, okay. Oh, here we go. Pop straight up. Brilliant. So I'll just read it out for you, Nats. So yeah. you, mentioned, you mentioned the benefits of predictive maintenance. On your homepage, your success evaluation metric is described as cost of unplanned downtime that can be avoided but predictive maintenance goes far beyond that yeah. while it's hard to value cost avoidance like for example if we hadn't caught the problem it would have cost x pounds sterling in emergency repairs so the, yeah. the question is how do you evaluate the success of the implementation of sensei and it's it's actually mentioning sensei roi lock which is um <laughs> so yeah, how do you evaluate the success of the implementation of Sensei with the Sensei ROI lock? Okay, so the reason that we talk a lot about the cost of downtime is because it's a first go-to, easy-to-measure metric that we know for a lot of companies is important. So if you're if you imagine in the early stages of a project you want to financially justify it, then downtime is is um, a kind of sweet spot to go and look at. Now, we do have clients where downtime is not a problem now and never will be, but there are other things around efficiencies that, that should be considered. Um, we have uh, we run value workshops that dig into all those other things that happen that are slightly harder, a bit harder to measure. 
um, that can be considered. But perhaps we should put more about on our homepage. But um, if you want to um, a, a deep dive into that, let me know. I can bring on one of our value assessment specialists to, to think about how that happens, if that's relevant. But there are, yeah, there will always be, when you're, value, when you're looking at the value of any solution for a company, there will be things which are easy to, to look at and things that are much harder. So, you know, you, you might want to factor in things like um, the, the ongoing credibility of an organization who you stop from having um, production issues and delivery issues. But they, you know, those things are, are harder and harder to, to factor in, but we have methods for doing it. So get in contact if you'd like to go through the process. Yeah. Oh, great. And thank you, Lauren, for your question. Um, and yeah, no, it's a re really interesting way to end. So, so yeah, as we're out of time, we've gone slightly over. Thank you, everyone, for your patience as we went slightly yeah, over there. Nice. Start a bit Sorry for my missed opinion. Yeah. <laughs> no, Thanks. no, that's all good. It's been, yeah, it's been a great session. Um, thank you, everyone, for joining. And thank you for, for that, for joining as well again. And we'll be back in, I guess, a month's time for the next session or about the truth about predictive maintenance. So thank you all. Enjoy the rest of your day or evening. Mm -hmm.